Well, good evening, Eastside Church family. I uh, hope you can uh, join us tonight for our Facebook Live session. And uh, tonight I'm gonna try something just a little bit different. And uh, I hope that uh, this TV is viewable uh, over the, the Facebook Live broadcast. Uh, I tested it out a couple of different ways um, by recording it, and I think it'll be visible to you. But uh, I hope that this will be an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, last week, we finished up our study of knowing God. And uh, next Wednesday, we're looking at uh, the possibility of being able to meet together again uh, in person here at church, and we're looking forward to that. But uh, tonight, I just wanted to share uh, with you a passage from the book of Psalms. Psalm number 24, Psalm number 24, and I've entitled this, In the Presence of the King, In the Presence of the King. And this is a Psalm of David, Psalm 24, a Psalm of David, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to uh, gather together tonight, uh, just virtually uh, online at home with our families. And uh, I pray that uh, this time in your word would be an encouragement, a challenge to us. Father, bless your people. Uh, we look forward to the time when we can gather together again here very soon. And uh, Lord, as we look to the book of Psalms tonight, uh, may you receive all praise and glory because you are the King of glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. The first thing that we see in this psalm, in the first couple of verses, is who this king is. Uh, I've entitled this psalm, In the Presence of the King. And verses 1 and 2 tell us very clearly who this king is that we're talking about. And it is God. It is the creator of the universe. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 24 uh, very uh, clearly and strongly communicate the truth that Yahweh, the one God of Israel, is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who made everything. And because he made everything, therefore he owns everything. Verse 1 
says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And this is a principle that we instinctually understand, isn't it? That if you make something, you have the rights to that thing that you make. Uh, You have ownership of it. It belongs to you. And so this psalm is expressing the ownership of the Lord over everything in the universe. That which is seen and visible to us, but even that which is unseen, even the spiritual forces, things that we cannot see, it all belongs to God because he made it. He brought it all into existence. And this is a uh, unifying theme all the way throughout scripture. There is no contradiction to this theme from Genesis to Revelation that God, the one God, the one and only God, is the one who made everything that is. And because he made it, he owns it. Now, I was thinking about this truth of the creatorship of God in light of the current situation that we're in with this uh, coronavirus pandemic. And just thinking about the fact that because God made the universe and he brought it all into existence, there is nothing in this universe that is, that is outside of God's realm of influence, of his realm of control, uh, his knowledge, his wisdom. There's nothing too big for him, nothing too small for him. He knows everything that is going on in his world, and he is providentially guiding everything that is going on in his world, including this time that we're going through right now. Uh, For us, from our perspective, this is a time of uncertainty. We don't know what the economy is going to do. We don't know what this virus is going to do, if it's going to continue to go down, if we're going to be able to keep it under control, or if there's going to be another spike. We don't know. We're not in control of it, but God is in control. God is in control of everything that goes on in his world, and he owns us. So we need not fear because God as the creator is watching over everything within his world. So we need not fear, but also we can go ahead and go about living for him and seeking to honor him with our lives because that is the reason for which we were made. We were made to glorify and honor our creator. And that that, uh, is true regardless of what the circumstances are going on around us. So whether we're in good times or in difficult times, whether we're going through times of plenty or times of want, whatever we're going through in our lives, we are called to bring honor and glory to God by praising him, by seeking to live our lives in conformity with his word, by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us, by being a light, a candle uh, shining in a dark world, We have many opportunities to to show forth uh, the glory of God, even in this difficult and dark time that we're living in. God is the creator. He is the king of the universe. Every king has a domain. Uh, You know, in years past, you would have a king or, or even now a queen of England. That was their domain. Well, the domain of God is the universe. It all belongs to him. He is the king of everything. Verse two further establishes the creatorship of God 
by reminding us that God founded the world on the seas and established it on the waters. And this is probably a reference to Genesis 1 and verse number 2, where it says that uh, the world that God brought into existence was still unformed and unfilled. It had not been filled yet with the creatures that God would make, and it had not come to fully take its shape. It was a world of water. And it says in Genesis 1 verse 2 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It was his creation that he was watching over. And so Psalm 24 introduces us to the king who is the king of the universe, the creator of everything that is. And then in verses three through six, we are called then uh, to meet the king. We are coming to meet the king. In verses three through six, it takes uh, the perspective of the worshiper those who are coming to meet God. And what is fascinating about Psalm 24 is that it is a meeting together. It is a coming together of both man and God, of, of man coming to the presence of God, but then of God at the end of the Psalm, of God gloriously coming in triumph, entering into his holy place where we meet together as God and worshipers. But verses three through six, look at it from our perspective of coming to meet God. And verses three through six remind us of the importance of taking the worship of the Lord seriously and treating God as holy, as glorious as he is. So verse three says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? who may stand in his holy place. And if you remember back in Exodus, uh, God, when he came to meet Moses, he guarded his presence on the mountain of the Lord. And so he instructed Moses to keep the people away at a distance at the foot of the mountain. Moses and Moses alone at that particular time was allowed to come up the mountain and to meet with God as he was receiving the law of God and also receiving instructions for the tabernacle. But this Psalm envisions a time after that in which the people of Israel are now gathered and they're gathered around a tabernacle that has been built, has been constructed, uh, a place of worship that has gates, that has an entrance, that has walls around it. And so this is the place where God lives. And most likely this is referring to the Holy of Holies, uh, probably even the Ark of the Covenant, where God, God's glory, his presence would come to rest over that mercy seat between the cherubim. This is the holy place of the Lord. So who is it? Who has the right? Who is able to come and to meet the Lord in this holy place? Well, verse four says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Now, in the worship of ancient Israel, only the high priest could come into uh, the presence of God in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, once a year, only the high priest. 
But this is referring to those who could come in the courtyard, if you will, on the, in the area surrounding the tabernacle with God at its center. Who is the one who can come to this holy place and to gather with God's people, to worship him, to sing songs of praise to him, to, to chant, to recite the scriptures in the presence of the Lord? Who can come to worship God in this holy place? And verse number four is emphasizing the holiness of the worshiper. God is holy. Verse three established that. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? God is holy. And the scriptures call us to be holy as God is holy. So who may come to this holy place, but a holy worshiper? And in particular, verse four says, one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Meaning not only outwardly ceremoniously clean, as in the ritual washing of hands, but even deeper, the one who has a clean, a pure heart. God is not interested in those who come to worship him by being just merely externally clean doing the rituals, whether it be the washing of hands or getting all dressed up on Sunday and coming to worship the Lord, God is not interested in getting cleaned up on the outside. He is interested in the condition of our hearts and that when we come to worship him, we come to him with a clean heart, a heart that has a pure motive to come and to worship and honor the Lord in his presence. Verse four also specifically refers to Uh, the necessity to worship God and God alone. Verse four says, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God? That is in direct, someone who would do that, someone who would worship an idol, someone who would swear by a false God, that person is in direct violation of the first three commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. The first three commandments are to have no other gods before the Lord, before Yahweh, to not make any image or or graven image or, or likeness of anything to represent God. And third commandment, to not take the name of the Lord in vain, probably and particularly in the swearing of oaths, in invoking the name of God in the taking of an oath, but doing so in full knowledge of the worship and the honor and the glory of God, and by no means swearing or taking an oath in the name of a false God. And so verse four is referring to those who would violate the fundamental charter of Israel's covenant with God to engage in false worship and to swear, take an oath by the name of a false God. And the one who does that Psalm 24 says, he is not ready to come and meet the Lord. He has not prepared himself to meet the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about verses three and four and us coming to meet God, who is the one who can truly fulfill all that verse four is saying here? Who is the one who can truly come, not only with clean hands, but can truly come with a pure heart? 
who is the one who can come in singleness of devotion, singleness of worship, and come to worship and honor God? Certainly, if God was calling for perfection here by us, then none of us would be worthy to come and worship in the presence of the Lord. None of us has truly 100% clean hands. None of us has a pure, 100% pure heart. None of us come with a pure, 100% single-minded love and devotion. We are tainted by sin and our hearts are deceptive and deceitful. Even as regenerate Christians, we still do not have 100% purity of heart. So how can we come and worship before the Lord? Only through the merits of Christ. Psalm 24 here is pointing to our need for someone greater, for someone to truly meet all of the criteria of verses three and four. And there has only been one. There has only been one man in the history of the world who could legitimately claim to have completely clean hands and a pure heart, absolutely free of any guilt, of any sin, of any deceitfulness, of any double motive, only one, and that is Christ, in whom in his mouth was found no deception, no guile, no deceit. There is only one who has been truly righteous. And praise God, he represents us. And because he has stood in our place, we have the opportunity to come into the presence of God, into the presence of the Holy of Holies, because Jesus is the one who ripped the veil and opened up a way for us to come and enter into the presence of the Holy God. Jesus is worthy. Who is worthy to ascend the mountain of the Lord? Really, truly, purely, only one is worthy, and that's Jesus. But he has made entrance possible for us by the blood that he shed for us and by inviting us into the covenant now with, that we have with God. So only one can really make us worthy. But even so, even though we come in the, the merits and the purity and the holiness of Christ, still as believers, we have a, a, a call on our lives to come with a heart that is as pure as we can with the help of the Holy Spirit, to come with hands that are as clean as we are able with the help of the Holy Spirit, and to come with a mindset that God is holy, that he is a consuming fire. And so even with Christ as our representative, we still need to come seeking to be holy in the presence of the Holy God. And notice the blessings that come to those who seek a, an audience with the king. Verse five says, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. In other words, those who come in purity of heart and for us as New Testament believers, for us who come through the, the representation the intercession of Jesus Christ, our holy high priest. As we come before the Lord and seek a presence with him, 
he blesses his people. He blesses his children. They receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication, justification, a declaration of not guilty of innocence in the sight of God, their Savior. That is the blessing that comes to those who seek God. And so may we seek God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and seek to come and meet this King of the universe. But then verses 7 through 10 finishes out the psalm by looking at it from God's entrance. So verses 3 through 6 is our entrance into the holy place of God. Now verses 7 through 10 are referring to God's triumphal entrance into his temple, into his holy place. Verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And if you notice in verse number seven, it says, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. What is what is the situation? What is the setting or the circumstances in which this psalm would be sung like this? In which they would call out and sing and cry out in praise, God, come in and enter into your gates, into your courts. And it's difficult to know for sure, but some commentators have suggested, and I think it's a legitimate suggestion, that what this psalm is referring to is perhaps uh, the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant coming back into the, the holy place, the holy of holies, and, and as such representing the glorious entrance of the King of Glory into his holy place. Now, why would the Ark of the Covenant be out and need to come in? Well, several different possibilities. One is uh, some have suggested that maybe this is uh, based on uh, an incident that's recorded in 2 Samuel 6, when David uh, brought uh, the the, uh, Ark of the Covenant home to the tabernacle. And it had been in the hand of the Philistines, and then it had been recovered and then moved toward the the place of God. And perhaps this is that situation of the glorious entrance of the presence of God represented by this ark coming back into the, the tabernacle courts, the holy place of God. Another possibility is that uh, there were times when uh, the people of Israel would take the ark of the covenant out into battle with them. And perhaps this is a re-entrance of the Ark of the Covenant uh, coming back in, in terms of a victory of the Lord being victorious in battle, the King 
of glory. And we see a possible reference to that in verse number eight, when it says, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And so this Lord is the victor for his people. And who would you rather want on your side than the creator of the universe if you were going into battle? When the people were in covenant with the Lord and when they were seeking to obey that covenant before the Lord, the Lord was on their side in battle. And they went in the confidence knowing that the victory was theirs because of the strength and the might of God. How does this relate to us as New Testament Christians? Well, we are not marching out into a literal battlefield, but we are every single day going out into a spiritual battlefield. Every single day we are going out into a spiritual uh, field of landmines, if you will. And the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to, to put on the armor of God and to be ready to go out because we battle against powers and principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world. But in so doing, we are victors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Paul says in Romans 8. So we go out into spiritual battle, but we go out with the victory and the power of the saving mighty grace of God in Christ. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. God has already won the victory for us in Christ. Verse nine repeats, verse seven, lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. And so whereas verse eight, said, who is this King of glory? It is the Lord who is strong and mighty. It is the Lord who is mighty in battle. Now verse 10 refers to him as the almighty Lord and the King of glory. There is nothing too strong for the Lord. And in everything, God will receive the glory. And this psalm calls for a, a meeting together of joyous praise of the worshipers of God seeking God's face, coming to seek him in his holy place, but then rejoicing in praise and triumph as this king of glory comes in. Every time that we gather together as the church of God. And this is why we have been longing for so long to not do this virtually over the internet anymore, but to do it in person in a real gathering because the Bible says when the church is assembled, when we come together as the people of God, we are like the stones of a temple and the King of glory comes in. 
the Holy Spirit is there to meet with us and to dwell among us. I'm looking forward to very soon being able to worship with God's people, eagerly seeking to come and meet the Lord and then welcoming the presence of the Lord, this mighty King, this creator King, and where we can dwell in his presence. But then I was even thinking about how as, as wonderful as it will be for us to gather again as the church of God, that is just a small blip, just a small little candle in comparison to the sun of what we will experience one day when all of God's people from every age will be able to gather around the throne of God in glory and sing praises to the King of glory. We look forward to that time. We look forward to our worship here very soon as the people of God, but even stronger with a greater longing, we look forward to that glorious meeting that will take place in eternity between God and his people where God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him and he will be our God and we will be his people. We long for that time. May God bless you as you seek to worship him as you seek his face. And may we with open hearts, clean hearts, clean hands, but extended hands, open arms, receive this King of glory when he comes to meet with us as we worship. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this psalm that we've been able to look at tonight. Father, we thank you for the glorious truths that it reminds us of, that you are the creator, the one who rules over everything. Uh, Thank you for what the psalm reminds us of in that we have the privilege and the honor to come and to meet with the God of the universe, not because we are worthy on our own, but because we have been invited in through the worthiness of Christ. Father, my prayer is that we as a church here at Eastside Baptist Church very soon would be able to meet together as the people of God. We are are planning to, and hopefully we will be able to this coming Lord's Day. And so, Father, I pray that um, you would be honored and glorified in the midst of your people. Lord, bless our church. And I pray that you would give them your grace and your strength. And Lord, help them to in everything that they do to bring honor and glory to you, the King of glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I pray God's blessings on you the rest of this week. And may his peace and his grace and his strength go with you.